any moment when I don't feel ready, I feel scared, I feel, you know, worried, I remember the power of how I actually feel just before I get on stage, you know, like you have that little butterfly in the stomach feeling and like your heart's pumping and then it hits you like, I'm not feeling this way because I'm nervous. I'm feeling this way because I'm excited and this is going to be amazing and it's going to result in something phenomenal. Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I'm honored that you are part of our dance tribe. This episode is brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, online platform where you can get access to all my teaching materials at once. Hundreds of technique drills, multiple choreographies, themed intensives, full-length courses, everything you can think about. Whether 20 minutes or few hours for practice, you will find a program that will fit not only your schedule, but your mood as well. First seven days are free, so check it out at yanadansclub.com, link in the show notes. Hello, hello, our dear listeners. This is Belly Dance Live podcast episode number 161. And today I'm very happy to welcome to the show beautiful Maesha. She's a dedicated performer, teacher, trainer, and workshop instructor with over 19 years of cabaret and folkloric Middle Eastern dance experience. As a performer, she has captivated audience all over the U.S. and around the world, including Turkey and Egypt. Maeja has been a featured performer at numerous special events, including national conferences like True Spirit. She has graced concert halls, nightclubs, restaurants, and stages all over the globe, including the SF Pride Women's Stage, where she was presented a prize for her award-winning Shemis, as well as famous Egyptian TV show El Rakesa. In our today's episode, we talked about uh, different stages of her dance journey, how she got introduced to ballet dance, what she learned from her teachers and later from her students, how she got involved in uh, Alarkesa show and, of course, in-depth about that event. You know, in life of uh, many people, uh, there are some events that kind of split our life on before and after. And Alarkesa show is one of these events that definitely can be described for Maya as a life-changing event, as she referred to it too. And uh, we not only talked in depth about all nuances of what was happening, what was the relationship between dancers, between directors of the show, the crew members, how everything was happening, was it choreographed, improvised, what was the schedule, what was the expectations from dancers, but also we talked about realizations after show and what happened after the show was over and how it changed further 
dance exploration and dance uh, journey. And as Maja herself described her current state as a fresh start, I'm also very happy of timing of release of this episode as a good point to contribute to a fresh start by reviewing things from the past and maybe taking a different look at it to build up a new understanding, new approach, and new beginnings. So on this note, let's dive right into the interview. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, how are you doing today? <laughs> I am doing fantastic and I'm really happy to be here with you. I've been really looking forward to this interview for a while. Oh, glad, glad to hear. Uh, I would really love to start with our traditional beginning, but very intriguing questions. Do you remember your very first ballet dance class? So well. It's actually one of my favorite stories. So my very first teacher, I was incredibly lucky with my first teacher. It was Artemis, Elizabeth Artemis Marat, um, who is world-renowned for her Turkish-style um, dance and um, is also amazing at American Cabaret. And she, I, and it was amazing. Like, I looked up after I, you know, had signed up for the class, I looked it up. And I, I looked her up and I was like, oh my gosh, this woman has all these awards. And I was just like, who is this amazing person that I'm about to take this class with, right? Which, you know, we don't always know when we first start something, like who we're going to end up with. And I feel like I just had so much luck in my path, you know? So I get to the class and um, I've always been a um, large woman. Um, even when I was young, I've always been a little bit larger than everybody else when I was in school and stuff. Um, I always looked a little older. Thankfully these days I look a little younger, I like to think, but when I was younger, I looked a little older than I was. Like at 12, you know, grown people would walk up to me thinking I was an adult. So um, I was about three times the size of every other student in the class, literally. And I do the class, but I'm really nervous, but I had a great time. Like she, she was, an, she's an amazing teacher. And I always have fun when I've taken classes with her for a long time. I kept coming back even <laughs> to the point at one point she said to me like, girl, please stop coming to my class. You've learned everything that I have to teach you. And I was like, no, Artemis, you have so much to teach me about life. <laughs> So um, for years, I just kept coming back because it just felt good, you know. So I, at the end of the class, I, um, she said, can you stay after for a minute? And I was really nervous. Um, in my mind, I was scared that she would say, you know, it's really nice that you came, but um, you know, this isn't really for you. You're a little too big. Like, you know, I'd received so much discrimination at that point in my life. And so that's what I expected would happen. And um, I stay after class and she says, I just have to tell you, I've been teaching for decades and this is so rare, but I need you to know that you're a natural dancer. 
and that I want you, whatever you do, you have to come back. Um, this, you know, like I can immediately see that, you know, this is for you. I'm gonna try not to cry because when I think about that story and my life at this point, you know, she changed my life, you know, like in that moment, she absolutely changed my destiny in all the best ways. And I'm so lucky, you know, for her to have stepped up and said that because I might've been in my fear, not willing to come back, you know? Um, but when she said that, it, it, you know, it set me on a path that has been absolutely amazing. Hmm. If you didn't come to ballet dance class again, what do you think your life would look like? <laughs> I ha I fear to think because dance for me is many things. It is healing. It is um, spiritual work. Like I literally feel like Dance is the place where I connect with spirit and with um, the divine. And um, I don't know what I would do without that. Um, it, you know, like in my, any moment when I don't feel ready, I feel scared, I feel, you know, worried. I remember the power of how I actually feel just before I get on stage, you know, like you have that little butterfly in the stomach feeling and like your heart's pumping and then it hits you. Like I'm not feeling this way because I'm nervous. I'm feeling this way because I'm excited and this is going to be amazing and it's going to result in something phenomenal. And, um, and then I can shift that, you know, that feeling of nerve into like, Oh my gosh, this is, about to be something beautiful. Like dance teaches me so many beautiful lessons. But more than anything, you know, dance is also the place where I found wonderful people, you know, who really understand just how profound it can be to touch an audience emotionally. Um, I don't, you know, my experience in Egypt was life-changing as well. And I would never have, you know, like, I could never imagine when I was standing there in that class where it would lead, you know, like that the students I've gotten to teach have been, oh, it's like I say the students I've gotten to teach, but also they've taught me so much too. You know, like there's just the, the other, the other thing is, you know, I've had two amazing teachers. I've had many amazing teachers. Oh my gosh, the teachers I've gotten to study with in my past, Artemis, then I studied with Yasmin, and I, you know, I know Yasmin was interviewed, and she's, oh my gosh, like, 
to like sometimes I think about like the fact that I ended up on Egyptian television and I got to study with Yasmin's for years before that. That's amazing. Artemis was interviewed too. <laughs> oh yay! I love it. I gotta go listen to those episodes. <laughs> What were the most valuable lessons you learned from your students? Because you mentioned that they taught you too. Yes, courage. I learned courage. You know. One thing um, about having had my first teacher say to me, like, you know, this dance is for you, was that I've always felt, not, I wouldn't say I've always felt confident. That's, that would be a straight lie, you know, but I've always been assured that, like, oh, I've got this. You know what I mean? Like, there's something, like, I can keep going. I've got this. You know, I have a real instinctual feeling about Egyptian dance and about Turkish dance, like the rhythms hit my body and it's, you know, it's like, bam, right? And not everybody has the same relationship to rhythm. Not everybody has, you know, like I used to dance all the time when I was a kid. Like I loved dance from a very young age. Anytime I was sad, I would come home and I would immediately start dancing. You know, like that dance has always been this place where I emotionally connect. And that's not true for everybody, right? And watching people break through their fear of, of, of being present in their bodies is, and taking people through that journey of, particularly, I have to say, during the pandemic. Um, you know, like I started when I was teaching during the pandemic, And watching how, you know, like it was hard. We're sitting in front of our computers all the time. We can't touch, you know, like at the beginning, we couldn't hug people, we're being told. Um, if you lived alone, you never, you really just were without touch. And even in, you know, your home life, if you had a husband or a partner or wife, you, you know, it's like you're always you're missing so much. You want to hug your parents. You want to hug your grandparents. You want to, you know, like you want to be close to people. And there's this way where we had to kind of shut off ourselves. Right. And like, just to kind of get through this year. And um, so I started teaching my first set of classes and I looked around and I just thought to myself, hold on, I know where I'm feeling in my body, like tense and tight. And like, I've, You know, I'm not smelling, I'm not tasting, I'm not hearing the same way. I'm kind of closing down a little bit. And I started, I immediately said, okay, when I teach, I get to think about what do I need and then provide it to my students. And it motivates me on a different level than when I'm just doing it for myself. You know, it's like all of a sudden I get to go, okay. And so like my first class with my new class, my new set of students that was during the pandemic, I had them smelling things in their kitchen because I realized when I cook, I had such a, mm, you know, like it would help me to really refocus in my body. So I would, I told them to go into their kitchens and grab 
different spices and smell them. And then like when I'm sitting around and, you know, we get each of us all have moments when we're, you know, depressed or we're scared or anything, but sometimes it can be hard to shake that. But when I do it with my students, it reinforces all the ways I know how to heal myself. And then I get to pass it on to other people. And it's so powerful. That is like, and then when I watch my students from like the first day of class to the last day of class, oh my gosh, you know, like it was so exciting watching them totally engaging with the music in a new way. I did a private with one of my students and I was watching her shake and I was like, what? Like, I, I wanted to just follow her, you know, like I was just like, look at you engaging with the music in this way. Like just watching people shine from like watching that transformation from when I can't tell you what it does for my heart to watch my students <sighs> shine, you know, like it, it's, there's no word for the power of watching a student reconnect with themselves and connect further, even with students who are very far along in their, you know, dance journey. Just, I, I feel very connected to spirit when I teach and I feel very connected to spirit when I dance, but watching, like being able to take that to another level where I get to carry it out with someone else is, <sighs> there's no words. It's also very cool to hear how much inspiration you have in your voice while talking about this topic. <laughs> It's everything to me. Like that my students inspire me. I I'll tell you one story real quick. I have a um I had a really short, small class some years ago and there were first only three women in it. Then one woman, like something happened, I think her grandmother died. And so she had to leave the class. And so there were only two students and it was a performance class. So these two students were performing a duet and at the very, at the rehearsal of like literally an hour or two hours before the performance, one of my students, She was in several pieces and she hurt her knee and could not dance. And I turned to the single student and I said, Yvette, do you want to do this? And she said, yes. Watching her perform a duet by herself, I mean, really think about that. All of us as dancers, think about if you had set a duet with someone, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, no, we're not doing that. And one of the things I like to focus on with my students is teaching them how to do improv. Because I feel like it's, you know, life's always stressing. The, you know, like my first performance I did for money, the music was different than what I practiced with. But because I knew improv, you know, It's like, and there's nothing like dancing with a live band, right? Like there's nothing like it. It is, if you really can get into the moment with it. So I feel like improv is so important for our dance form. So, you know, I, it one confirm like, yes, this is what I always want to do for my students because things happen, you know, life is never certain. And, um, but also just her bravery as like, you know, an early in her career dancer 
to just step out and say, okay, fine, I got this. Let me just do this. I inspired is like inspired to infinity. Do you know what I'm saying? It's that's the joy that that brings me to see my students be so courageous. And it's like when I'm in a moment that I need courage, I just have all, you know, like I, they are my inspiration. You know, I get to look back at the moments that I watch them just say, I'm doing this. And, you know, y'all can't see the smile on my face, but it's just, <laughs> ah. <laughs> well, it's amazing. Your students probably also feel that they have a, a very amazing teacher behind their backs supporting them. <laughs> I hope so. I really hope so because they're they're everything to me. I love my students. Uh, you also mentioned uh, one thing that uh, your time in Egypt really also changed your life. So I kind of want to jump a little bit forward. I mean, back and forward, let's say, <laughs> to that time. So uh, you, uh, of course, your uh, appearance at the famous Al Rakesa show uh is one or probably one also one of the highlights of your uh, dance journey so far so can you tell us um how did it happen that you uh, got involved in the show and what was your reaction when you got the invitation and you realized what was actually about to happen <laughs> That is a story. I actually have been doing a series of talks about it because when I look back at it, I realize, oh my God, there's so much to it. I did a two hour um, lecture on it already and we were sitting there and everybody said, hold on, you're not done. We need more. So I'll try and take it to like a short piece. Like that's kind of hard, but I'm going to try. Okay. So let's see. So it started with a couple of, like, I don't know exactly how long it was, but um, Dina came to America. She came to Virginia, I believe it was, and she taught a workshop. And in the middle of the workshop, she stopped and she pointed. And I knew it was at me, but the woman right in front of me thought it was her. <laughs> and so and immediately was like, it was me, it was me. And I just, I was like, I think it was me, but I don't know. So I didn't say anything because I didn't want to, you know, be rude. And I wasn't sure. Like, I just didn't know who it was. And, um, but Dina pointed and she said, um, you, you have the feeling. And I, I knew it in my heart. I was like, she's talking to me. But I, you know, I just was like, okay, well, I don't know. Um, so, you know, the workshop was amazing. Dina is, as everybody knows, you know, phenom, you know, and um, little did I know how much I would get to know even better, you know, how much of, an, of a phenom she was. But at the time I was like, oh my God, that was a great workshop and that happened, maybe that happened. So um, I kind of thought it did also because I met Fifi before that. And Fifi had also said to me that I had really amazing musicality. So I was like, I think, you know, it might've been me. So I, um, and then like, I feel like it maybe was six months to a year later, I got a 
message on Facebook from a woman named Hawaii. And she said, hi, I'm Dina's um, friend, manager, I can't remember exactly. And um, I, Dina wants you to go on the show. And I saw it and I literally thought, this is a man in his, you know, garage writing me. <laughs> like, you know, like I was like, this is not real, right? <laughs> and so, I, but I called um, up Yasmin and I called, I messaged dancers I knew in Egypt and I was like, hey, like, is this real? And um, every, like, I got a couple of answers that were like, maybe. And then I got some answers that were like, no, this is definitely spam. Um, and then one of the dancers who I messaged, who had said this is spam, messaged me and said that her manager had pulled her in for an interview for the show. And I was like, oh, it's real. So I, um, but I also still was feeling cautious just because it seemed too big to be true. So the way I handled it was like, I'm asking for my leave. I'm doing all the things, you know, but I was like, until literally until the moment a ticket is in my hand for the plane ticket, you know, until they send me that ticket, I'm at, you know, like, this could be anything. Right. Even as I got on the plane, I thought this, like literally, even though I had the ticket, I get on the plane and I was like, who knows what'll happen, but I've been to Egypt before. I know where to stay. Um, by the way, I recommend Victoria Hotel. I love them and I'm staying as a dancer. I feel like they're really nice. Um, but I said, let me just get on this plane and um, and we'll see. And then I'm doing my makeup on the plane just in case there's cameras when I get off, you know, and getting my hair together. And I, but I still was like, even until the plane set, set on the ground and I got out, I was like, we'll see. There might just be, you know, it might be some randomness. And then when I got off and there was a camera crew and someone interviewed me, I was like, oh, M. Gee, this is real, you know. And um, I, I think I was in shock initially. Like you know, like I think in the very first first few, like I don't know how many days I might have been in shock. Just like this is happening, and then Dina walks in, and it's like, what in the world? Dina's standing right in front of me, and. And she was so complimentary. Like she, one of the things she said to me early in was that I reminded her of her favorite golden age dancer. That. Moments like that. You know, when I started doing Egyptian dance, um, the primary thing I wanted was to know that the quality of my Egyptian dance would be such that Egyptians would love it. You know, like that to me felt like the most important thing. I did not want to offend anybody culturally. And I wanted them not just to not be offended, but to enjoy, to, you know, like to give the gift that they had given me of this dance which has changed my life and to give it honor in the way that um, I felt like I had been given a huge gift by it. And when Dina said that to me, it 
was like a lock, you know, like it was like someone turned a key in a lock and it was like, I, you did it. You did it. All those years of practice and study and listening to rhythms and music like it and feel and more than anything I feel like with Egyptian dance it's about spirit it's about connecting with a spirit that is that dance and it was like you did it kid and that um I I don't have words for it I just don't I don't have any words to describe how that confirmation felt for me, you know, it was amazing. What was the most uh, memorable moment of Al Rakesa's show? Like, you know, the moment that if it was just that moment, it was already worth of it. Like, do you have anything like that? Ask me the question one more time because I need to think about it. I really want to think about this question because there, there's so many, so many moments. <laughs> like it's when I tell you the story, like the mo there are moments that were shocking. There are moments that were confirming. There were moments that broke my heart. There were moments that um, saved my heart. There were moments that were the most fun. You know, like so. Ask me the question so I can really pick a moment we can we can narrow it a little bit i understand that it's it's Please, it's an experience it. of it yeah well. it's a it's a lifetime experience already just one that show so i understand you mentioned something intriguing at the moment that saved your heart what was what was that for you oh oh that's a beautiful that's a beautiful question um Dancing with Dina's band at the end. That wasn't part of the show, but um, after we finished taping the show, Dina took us all out to dinner. And the dancers who left. And um, we, uh, you know, the last seven. And when we went out to dinner to go see her dance, and then she had each of us come and dance with her band. And to not just dance live, because, you know, the one thing about the show that I wish, if I were, you know, if I were designing the show, it would have been a live band, just because I feel like that is the soul of Egyptian dance to me, right? But it was fun, you know, but with the audience and everything, I mean, oh my God, it was amazing doing those pieces but I would have loved to have done them live. And so that moment after like six weeks of dancing to tape music, like not only to be dancing to live, but to be dancing to live in an Egyptian club with Dina's band, who, shout out to Dina's band, because I realized as I was dancing with them. I kind of knew this from other experiences I'd had dancing with Egyptian drummers. And um, 
you know, I had gone on a trip before that with um, Syed Hankish and um, and Yasmin Hankish. And um, when we went on that trip, I danced with the whole family of drummers, which, you know, my gosh, uh, <laughs> you know, like the Hankish brothers are, if people don't even know about the Hankish sons and grandsons, because, oh, and mm, they recently lost a grandson. And so just, you know, I want to take a moment to just honor him. Because I know that was a big loss for their family. But I also have to say, I dancing with the whole family of drummers in their living room, like, oh my God, right? So I knew one of the things that I learned in that experience was that when you dance with the Egyptian musicians, unlike in America and some other places, though you, I shouldn't say it, it's not across the board. You know, like I have definitely met musicians who understand this, but the thing about Egyptian musicians in a professional setting is that they follow the dancer. And not just, but I shouldn't, and follow isn't the word, they work with the dancer. It is a communication that happens between you and the musicians. You are building something that is bigger than both of you. Not both of you, because there's a huge dance, but you're building something that's bigger than just you, right? You're building a relationship in the process of dancing with the band. And um, But sometimes you meet musicians who don't honor the relationship. Like they're just kind of, I'm playing for me, it's great. Dina's band, it was like dancing with, I mean, the level of experience. Like these are people who started learning at the feet of their parents who learned at the feet of their parents, who learned at the feet of their parents, who learned at the feet, you know, back and back and back. So it was like dancing with, um, ancient wisdom, you know, like literally in music form, dancing with ancient wisdom and music form and the best of it, do you know, like the best of it and the experience of what we were creating together, I, and the honor of being able to dance with her band. That was it. That was the top moment. Why, why did you describe this moment as the moment that saved your heart? What did it mean because to you? I think, you know, when, um, when I left the show, um, it was hard. You know what I mean? Like that moment, you know, we all have ups and we have downs, right? And that moment was a moment that, you know, I still have some regrets about, you know, like I made my decisions in the moment based on what was happening. Um, I still feel, I feel like, you know, I really wanted to share something, but it wasn't received the way I had wanted it to be received. So, so it felt, I felt concerned that I might've dishonored, um, everything that Dina had tried to share with me. I was concerned that maybe I'd offended her, you know, and, um, and I think that night and that moment on stage with her band, I was like, no, no, that's, you know, like this was one moment and it was a show, you know, and it has to go the way a show happens because there's a show, you know, 
it definitely was a reality show, you know, like as well as a dance competition. So there were aspects of it that, you know, I look back now, you know, several years later and I'm like, oh, this was the, you know, like certain things happened that were part of building a drama, you know, around what was happening, right, for the audience. Um, but to know that in and in the moments with Dina after I left the show made it very clear I hadn't done it, you know, like our relationship was still really stellar and that she still had respect for my dance and for me. That was, so that plus, you know, dancing with Dina's band, you know? <laughs> Or like, on stage in front of her audience, and to have them receive it well, you know. Like one guy walked up to me afterwards and said, "I felt like I was watching my," which, you know, somebody could take it several ways, but I felt really good about it. He said, "I felt like I was watching my mother dance. Like it was like." And he meant it, he had a huge smile on his face. Like you know, like you dance so authentically. It felt like I'm watching my family dance. You know what I mean? It's like, what? And not in the context of the show, but just like a person watching me dance in some jeans, you know? Cause I didn't, we weren't, no, we didn't know we were going to be dancing. So we were just in our, you know, regular clothes for going to the club, you know? So I just had on a cute, I mean, it was a cute outfit, don't get me wrong. But like, I just had on some jeans and a cute little tight t-shirt, you know, but for him to then be like, it felt like watching, you know, like you were so authentic. It felt like watching a member of my family. We were like, what? You know, like it was like, oh, you know, yes, I had this moment of dancing fusion and a situation I would, when I look back at it, I wish I hadn't. But, um, but it did not, you know, like, it's like, no, you still do what it is that you wanted to do, which is to honor this dance form fully. During the show, each dancer had a staged performances. So it was you, you were with uh, supporting dancers, some stories, some decorations. So how much of that was coming from you? How much was uh, maybe <laughs> Dina's uh, decisions and maybe how much was uh, directors of the show? So how was how much freedom did you actually have on stage? <laughs> I love this question because I'm going to tell you a story. You ready for this? So all of it was me. And I'll tell you why I know all of it was me. Uh, two things. One. When I was um, selected to go on the show, they said, you have two weeks, right? It's going to be two weeks. And it was great because I had three weeks of vacation. They said at max, it'll be three weeks, but really you'll be there for two weeks. I ended up there for six weeks, right? I ended up there for the whole taping of the show. And um, I, you know, my office, I only had three weeks of vacation. So every, as the show kept going on, I kept getting these calls from my office like so when you coming back and I was like uh <laughs> I'm still here they're still taping I'm still doing well and I don't know when I'm coming back so at one point I pulled aside one of the um one of the producers and I was like 
um, particularly the guy, it was the guy who I talked to before I left who told me, you know, two to three weeks. And I said, dude, I'm still here. Like, when am I going home? And he says, uh, well, we didn't think you were going to be this good. <laughs> and I said, what? And he said, yeah, we, we didn't think you were going to be this good. If you want to leave the show, you're going to have to dance not as well. <laughs> and, I, and I looked at him and I was like, uh, so I'm here representing for black women. I'm here representing for fat women. I'm here representing for myself and for my ancestors and for my teachers and, you know, and for my students. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to just throw this, you know, because I'm supposed to go home. And so I, it was at that point, I, um, I like, but what really hit me was, no, they didn't plan for me to be this good. Like, you know, they had a plan for what my dance performances was going, were going to be or what they thought they were going to be. It did not go according to their plan, <laughs> you know? What I did notice after that was that my pieces got a lot harder. They got a lot harder. And I'll tell you how hard they got, which is another way you'll understand that this was not like, it wasn't like these were choreographed by um, anybody on the show. So I had um, one piece where most of the time how we did those staged pieces, because there were other dancers, is you would arrive on the stage and um, you would you would arrive on the stage, right? You, I would do like run-throughs. Like they tell you what your song was. I would go find the lyrics of the song and see if I could find some history about what it meant culturally. And then I'd practice it over and over and over and over again, right? Because what I, after the first one, the first one, I didn't even know they were going to have other dancers on the stage the first time I did my performance. I had no idea. And um, I, but I figured out, oh, I've got, this is really going to have to be improv because I don't know where these people are going to be. And so, you know, like you didn't know, like it wasn't like we choreographed where it was like, okay, you know, we spent like, we didn't spend weeks like performing it with those people. It was like, you would get to the stage having practice they would then be there and they maybe they circle around you get told like they're going to circle around you right now they're going to step right here they'll be over here and then you'd have to perform it right at that moment with that so in a lot of ways it had to be improv you know what i mean like you really had to work around what they had already planned they would be choreographed you had to work around with where they were going to be so anyway so most of the time though that's how it would go like you would maybe get at most, you might get two run-throughs. Most of the time, we got one, one run-through with them, right? One piece after I told them, you know, I'm not throwing this, they had me come, they one gave me two pieces that I might perform. They didn't tell me which piece I was going to perform. They said, you might perform this one or you might perform that one. So I had to learn two pieces. Then we get to the stage and they... um I didn't get a run through. They had me come out and start dancing immediately. 
not only did they have me, it's okay. I see you shaking your head, but it was fine because like I said, I love improv and I love audience participation. So I was like, okay, I'll treat it like an audience participation number, right? So I get, but it was hilarious. I don't, y'all, <laughs> okay. So number one, the piece was about puppetry. And um, it's from, it's a, uh, it's a, it actually was a piece where the children, everyone has seen it. And the children, like everyone would have watched it as a child. It was like a child puppet piece. And so the dancers were actually puppets in the original play of this, right? Of this piece. So I come out, I pretend I'm a puppet, but it also, the puppets are at a moolid. So I come out, I don't know what's gonna be on the stage. And I get to the stage, there is a horse. <laughs> and I don't know if you ever go watch that again, you'll see me kind of like turn around, like there's a horse behind me, not a real horse, like two guys in a costume, but like still like there's a horse. Then there were two people who I think were supposed to be like dolls or puppets and they're dancing kind of wildly. And then there's two gigantic puppets. So like there's this whole scene happening. I had no idea before I hit the stage what was going to be there. And I just had to work with it, you know, like, but I love, I have to say that was one of my favorite pieces to do because it gave me that feeling of improv, which I love, you know? So it was like, for me, like some of the ones where I practice, 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 you know, like you can sometimes over practice a piece. Like you spend so much time doing it that by the time you're doing it, you're like, okay, you know, I don't, you don't have that, you know, that shot of adrenaline that hits you when you're doing something live. But that one, I felt like I'm doing this live, <laughs> you know, like there's no rails on this carriage full of a horse and puppets and dolls, you know? <laughs> Like they were spinning the dolls and in, in around in a circle. And I was like, whoa, okay, I can't go over there. It was amazing. <laughs> I love that. Still That's really cool to hear. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I was really curious. Like, was it uh, in terms of choreography? Because like there are other dancers on stage. It has to be somehow prearranged something. But basically, we're thrown in the hurricane or whatever is happening around you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Thrown into the hurricane. Exactly. Like you were just like. I mean, and I will say like one piece I did where they did do like a circle around me, but we really practiced it once, you know, like they marked the stage. I felt like it was done the way you would do, like it helped me also to understand how those golden age dancers did their performances for television, you know, for their, for the films, I should say, is like, because you watch them and they're so authentic. They're so in the moment. You like, you look at their faces, they're. Oh, sorry. I was just, I watched Nabawiya Mustafa recently and I was like, that woman is in a moment of pure freedom and joy, you know, watching her, but she has all these other people around her and she's interacting with them. And I realized she's doing the same thing, you know, like an improv plus an awareness of your space, you know, and that's really how it gets done. In between uh, tapings, you also had, uh, did actually, uh, did you have specifically some training 
at the show or it was more just, you know, meetings to discuss what is about to happen, maybe some feedback and that's it? Or did you actually have some studying and training there during that time of the show? So, yes, we did two different kinds of training. So with um, all of the court, like you'll notice that there's several pieces that were all of us dancing. So like, you know, so like the first one was every dancer. Then the next one was everybody in the next section and so forth and so on. Right. So for those pieces, um, those were choreographed primarily by Dina and also by Oh, I'm so sorry. I can't remember her name. She was a um, Lebanese modern choreographer. And so she would do a lot of the staging for some of the earlier pieces. Dina did more of it for the later ones that were, because the first one was more of a fusion number. So um, she, she was the one who was choreographing those background dancers and she choreographed. She was amazing with that, by the way. Um, and she choreographed the ones who were... Um, I feel so sad. I can't remember her name because I just, I adored her when I was there. Um, so we, um, so when we were doing the first piece, particularly because none of us were modern dancers, you know, like where maybe somebody was and I don't know it, but all of us were Egyptian style, you know, primarily for this piece, you know, like I would say some of us had done other things like I do Turkish as well, but um, Primarily, they were Egyptian-style dancers. And so you, I remember very distinctly all of us being like, whoa, this is a training. Like, they spent a long time training us up for that because we were like, what is she talking about? Like, this doesn't, this is not our style, you know? Particularly, I felt like the Egyptian dancers were like, you want me to do what? You know, like, it was, it was, so there was a lot of training in modern style for that first one. And then after that, for the next pieces, Dina would spend time with us, training us on um, how to perform like the different styles that we were doing. So like we did a, particularly when we did the, um, oh, my brain is, the candelabra piece. Um, and for that one, she had used a very old style um, piece of music and so she really did give us a lot of training and like how to dance to that and what the energy of that was um, she did some like independent studies with us you know at different times not like separately but like as a group we would get like a day of training with Dina pretty you know frequently just to kind of help us with you know like she would be like okay you're not getting the like shift here and like showing us some of her signature moves, you know, which was amazing. Like having training sessions with Dina and like, she talked us through like also like ways that she trained. Um, one thing, I, a person I really have to shout out is um, the other dancer who was black American who was there. Um, Laura Adrian and Laura Adrian is by the way, an amazing dancer um, she is working in, she's been working in Turkey for years. Um, and she is also an amazing yogi. So she did yoga trainings with us, um, which I still remember were like so much fun. And like my body felt so good having all that yoga um, while I was also, you know, because we were dancing 
long hours. Like they were, sometimes we would be in the studio 16 hours. Sometimes for those last two, they taped those so fast that they were in the studio like 36 hours straight. So there, but there were times when we went to the studio, we would be there from like, you know, 6 a.m. to midnight, you know? So the, it was pretty rigorous. And um, I felt really lucky at one point, one of the Egyptian dancers, there was something Dina wanted me to help her with. Actually, a couple of the Egyptian dancers, Dina wanted me to help them with some technique. And Dina was like, Maya, I want you to show them how you do certain things. When you talk about things that, um, <laughs> whew, you know, like blow my mind, save my heart kind of moments, like having Dina say, hey, there's something I think you could teach an Egyptian dancer. Like, what? You know, like that was phenomenal, you know? And, um, and they taught me so much. Like, that's the other thing is like, I learned so many new techniques from the other dancers too. Like they had said to us at one point, like, don't, you know, don't cross train. Like you all have to be yourselves, you know? But like sometimes, you know, every time we were on the bus, like the, um, the movie studio was probably about an hour bus ride from the, um, from our hotel. So when we were on the bus, we're dancers. So we're dancing together, you know, like we were just, we would have little dance competitions and we just dance with each other. It was like how we kept ourselves going, you know? So we would be on the bus, like shaking, <laughs> excuse my language, like shaking our butts and, you know, doing all kinds of things, you know, and like, but I learned a lot of techniques that way. I learned words, I learned new songs that way, you know, like we definitely ended up with like, certain songs that were like our song, you know, <laughs> like we were like, this is going to be our song, you know, and every time it came on in the club, because Dina also took us out a couple of times to nightclubs and, um, and where they had like live bands and stuff, like just so we could have some fun, because it was a lot of work. And so, you know, every once in a while, she'd be like, y'all need a night out, you know, <laughs> like you need some fun. So she'd take us out places. I like so her yeah, we say liked a lot. I like how you say, like, the dancers need to a uh, night out, meaning going and dancing more. <laughs> I know, but, you know, it's different when you're performing for somebody versus, like, you're in a club. Of course, when we get to the club, because we're so good, like, it becomes another performance. But that's a very different feeling when, like, you're just like, oh, everybody likes how I'm dancing. Okay, I'll tell you know, that's a, a different feeling than, like, performing, you know. So... It was fun. It was so much fun. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I remember one night we went somewhere in Hotel California started playing. And um, there were a lot, but it was, like, with live drummers in the, like, in the crowd. And at one point, I'm on my back doing, like, shimmies, like, you know, whatever anyone has to say. Like, every time I hear somebody say, no floor work. And I'm like, uh, you know, you don't do floor work all the time in Egypt. But I definitely have seen and performed some floor work in Egypt. <laughs> we won't tell Don't anyone. Don't let the police know. <laughs> Just make sure the Egyptian National Police don't know, right? <laughs> That's the only thing. <laughs> what was the most challenging uh, part of participating in that show? Homesickness homesickness, you know, um, 
I had just fallen in love, actually, about, uh, it's hard to remember right now because it was a while ago, but I feel like it was like six months to a year before I went on the show. And um, it, you know, like to leave a fresh love, you know, like how you feel when you're just freshly in love and you just want to be up, you know, in that, like you want to merge souls, you know, like in those first months of like, <gasps> and then all of a sudden it's like, uh, by the way, I got to go to Egypt, you know, <laughs> like it was, that was really hard. And like one night I, I had this roommate, um, and she, we didn't like I, my Egyptian was like, I know songs, I know greetings. You know, there was a little boy in a pool one day who was teaching me numbers. Like, you know, like I had, you know, like I know the words that go next to a song. I don't, I'm sadly have not done enough study of Arabic to know more. I need to do more. And though I learned a lot while I was there. Um, and my roommate didn't speak English. And so, um, but we found ways to communicate. And one night I, I was just, oh, the homesickness hit me so hard. And I was laying in bed and I was crying and she went out and she got me this Egyptian dessert. I was still, I wish I knew the name of it because it was amazing. It was like white and fluffy and cake. And she hand fed it to me and she was like, stop crying. And like, she was like, she was so sweet to me, you know? And I used to make her tea in the morning and it was just like, so like, you know, like there was, that was heartbreaking, but it was also like, you know, she was amazing and helping me through that, you know. That's awesome. That's, that's also those memories that are so um, valuable and uh, they are like treasures, not only the dance and culture and experience, but also this uh, connection with people. That's awesome. Oh my God. The other dancers were, huh? <gasps> Sahar, oh my gosh, I had so much fun with Sahar. Like, Sahar was uh, a riot. I I can't wait to see her again because that, we had so much fun. Oh my God. <laughs> and she's such a phenomenal dancer. Like, getting to watch her, like, learning her little, like, I don't know if everybody knows her, but she has the signature move that I've never seen another dancer do, where she does a leg shimmy without that foot on the floor. And learning that with her and then learning, like, I think also, like, the time to learn um, not just dance, but also I feel like being immersed like that, I learned a lot about the soul of the dance and the soul of dancers and also about like why they do the things they do. What is um, the culture that they're dealing with? What is how they get treated by people in the general public? I gained so much respect for, I don't know if it's the word they would use, but it is the word that I would use, that they are true feminists on the, um, cutting edge of revolution. You know, like there is this particular oppression of women that happens there and particularly of women that own themselves. And when 
it's like I feel like I sometimes I'll see people online and they'll be like, oh, my God, why is that Egyptian dancer wearing that? Or, you know, one of my favorite people I met there was Farah. And like you'll see Farah on dance online and she's like so sexy and she's got these tiny little costumes and, you know, and I every time I watch her online, I'm reminded of what I learned, which is that every time they do that, every time. It's one, it's a risk. Two, it is a risk to try to push the culture forward. There, you know, I went to go see, um, I won't say her name because she may not want me to tell the story, but um, one of my dance, my dressmakers. And I went in and there was this huge picture of her in this really tight outfit. Her hair was out. And at the same time, every time I go see her, her hair is covered. You know, she's getting progressively more covered up. Like the women, when the first time I went to Egypt, you know, women were in really tight clothing. As I kept going, like the last time when I was at the show, even to go out of the, um, out of the hotel at all, you know, a lot of times some of the dancers would wear full hijab just to leave the hotel. And I watched as a taxi driver one day started, I like my taxi driver started yelling at a woman in another car because she didn't have her head covered. You know, like, so there's this way in which like you look at those films from like the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, they're in mini skirts, they're having fun, you know, like the women were doing whatever the, they wanted. And now it's at this point where you can't even answer your door. You know, you might get killed, literally. You know, women have been killed, sexually assaulted. And so when you understand that and you understand that what they are doing is in service to push for women's rights to live as they want to live, to be who they want to be, it shifts how you see that she's wearing a miniskirt. It's like she's wearing a miniskirt because she's trying to freaking tell them, I'm a powerful woman and you don't get to tell me what to do. You know? And so those lessons around what they're dealing with culturally, I also felt like, you know, the first moment I arrived, I, um, I noticed that there was this cultural thing where no one hides their emotions. You know, like in the U.S., when we go to work, you have to put on a particular face. You know, it's like there's so many times you're supposed to immediately go, OK, I know I'm really upset, but instead of yelling or crying, I'm going to stand here and put on this very solemn face and then just, you know, I have to hold it together all the time, all the time. And I realized that affects our dance, too. You know, like if we don't have access to our emotions, like on an immediate level, it affects our dance. And um, one of the things I noticed is that my dance gets better the more in touch with my emotions I am, right? And they are continuously in touch with their emotions. And I realized that is this value of Tarab, like of understanding that being in the moment is ecstasy, being connected to your spirit, being connected to the spirit of the people around you, being connected to the spirit of the music, being in the moment with God, honestly, you know, like with spirit, with 
true connection with the universe, that is the highest thing. Not to hide who you are isn't the highest thing. And, um, and so that experience of watching them, of being immersed in it, like I came back and so many people were like, Maja, you're not being professional. You're not being, you know, like I kept being told, like, you're not being, you know, you're not, why are you saying that right now? Like, you should keep that to yourself. And I was like, no, I don't need to. And in fact, it's not healthy, you know, like, it's not healthy to constantly be suppressing ourselves, you know, but we do it because it's what we're told. And then it takes this toll on our heart, on our bodies, on so many things. But the other thing is it separates you from the power of your dance and your art, you know? And so the more I realized, like, I'm having that access to myself brought me such connection on another level with my dance. And um, so that's something else I like to teach and, and, you know, really make sure my students understand that dance, it's not about the technique you know, it's about how you make people feel and how you feel. You know, technique is important, don't get me wrong. You know, you don't, you wanna have the right technique for the right audience, but once, you know, you do, you practice that, but when you get to the stage, it's about transporting emotion. Talking about feelings, when you came back after show, when you came back home, uh, what did you feel then regarding your dance, your future in dance, uh, maybe even still some thoughts about your participation in the show? Like, what was that feeling? Because it can't, like, when we go through some big events, It can go two very different uh, paths right after. We can either feel inspired and like we will crush the mountains or we may hit opposite like emptiness and even maybe dense depression. Then it's like, okay, but what's next? So how is it for you? Like coming back home and uh, understanding and realizing what just happened to you <laughs> during last six weeks and how it changed everything. <laughs> so, whew. Well, so there's how I feel now, and then there's how I felt right after. Um, I definitely went through a depression afterwards. Um, it wasn't solely because of the show, though. I went through some really difficult times with my family at the, like, immediately upon getting back, um, and in my relationship immediately upon getting back, that um, I think, you know, it they took some time to work through. So immediately afterwards, I, um, and I was tired. Like, you know, those six weeks of the intensity at which it required for like, whoo, for taping the show, like being in the studio, drinking coffee to try and get by, you know, um, dancing for like 16 hours. Um, Something that not everybody knows is I was born with a congenital ankle defect. Um, dance has helped it, you know what I mean? But um, the, and I shouldn't even call it a deep defect because I'll tell you one of the things I feel really strongly about it is that it has um, enhanced my dance knowledge because I've really 
it constantly brings me back to center. It's like I, when I'm dancing, it's like I take what is being taught to me at any given moment, even when I was first dancing, I immediately knew I can hear and take in like what this technique is, but then I have to apply it to what happens in my body specifically. And that knowledge has really, I realized, given me a lot of like intuitive physical therapy information, you know? I'm always calculating like how to how do you address pain in the body while you're dancing, right? Because I've had to do that my whole career. So, um, but dancing at that level continuously on perform, you know, like to be constantly on performance. Like it's one thing, even as a professional dancer, like, okay, you might dance up to three hours a night. You're not dancing 16 hours a day, you know, like perfect, like, where someone is taping you, you're not doing that most of the time, right? Like, it's very rare that you're going to be taped for 16 hours a day for six weeks. Like, that is a physical, that's a whole nother level of performance. And so I think there was a period of time I had to physically recover. And um, there, though I also feel like, my gosh, talk about a training ground. You know what I mean? Like, to perform that much, that intensely was an amazing training ground for um, my technique and my, but and more than my technique, but my spirit, like, cause I really had to learn how to put it on no matter what, you know, like, how do you put it? That's something I also like to teach my students is like, how do you, when you're not okay, you know, like when you're not happy, when you're not feeling good, how do you get yourself into the place of, I'm ready to do this and not just do it with like a, a grimace on my face, <laughs> but do it with a sense of joy and pleasure and, you know, still carry through the emotions. So that's definitely something I also like to teach people is like, how do you break in those moments when you're like, I'm exhausted. I'm on my, you know, 10th cup of coffee. <laughs> You know, I want to shower and a bath. You know, we didn't have baths. <laughs> like, what didn't get to take any of my... I love having a, a bath every once in a while just to rest myself. There were no baths, you know? So it was like, how do I do this when I'm, you know, and my ankle hurts and my knees kind of feeling something? And, you know, it was... That was, you know, really special to learn that. Um, but... So that, you know, so it was the recovery, physical recovery. And then, you know, the stuff that was happening with my family. And um, so I went through a period of depression and I, you know, I kept dancing. I made sure I, you know, I kept with some technique classes. I kept teaching, you know, when I felt like teaching, took, you know, did, I focused on live performances because I realized that's what I missed most, you know, on the show was like, I... I, whew, the first time I danced with a live band, I turned to Artemis and I said, why didn't you tell me the difference? Like I said, this is like eating, I said, it's like I was eating Chef Boyardee all my life, which is like, for those who don't know, it's this horrible, like, like pre-made spaghetti. But I said, I've been eating Chef Boyardee my whole life. And now I'm eating spaghetti that the sauce, somebody's Italian great-grandmother like 
grew the tomatoes heirloom style, you know, from an ancient recipe, uh, you know, seeds that her great grandmother had made, then is using the recipe that her ancestors used. And then, you know, the, the pasta was handmade. And, you know, like I said, it's a totally different level of feeling when you're dancing live music, right? I said, it's, you know, like you can't, it's, there's no comparison. And, um, and so I felt like after I came back, my spirit was just like, I just want to do live performances. So that's what I did. I only took performances that were live for about six years. I said, that's it. If it's not live, I'm not doing it because that's what my spirit needs right now. And, um, and so, you know, yeah, there was this, you know, it's like you're on a merry-go-round and then you get off and, you know, there is this like, you know, but there was also the, the family and life stuff that hit. But then, you know, at the sometime in the middle of the pandemic, I was sitting in my house and I was thinking back about the experience. And I realized, oh, my gosh, there were all these opportunities that I want that had been coming up. And I had just kind of been like, eh, not right now, because I knew my spirit wasn't there. And I was like, I need all those experience. I need all those opportunities back. And I sat. No, I mean. For lack of a better word, I did almost like a spell on myself. And I said, you know, I want to go back six years and I want to pick up that past six years ago self. And I want to restart. I want to restart from the from that moment. And it was amazing. All of a sudden, all these opportunities that from that started popping up like this, you know, like this interview is amazing. And it was like, oh, OK, here we go. Let's do it. You know, like I, I feel like I treat today as though I just got off the show and I and it's interesting like all the memories of it are right there all the training is right there all the you know like I immediately access that feeling of like immediacy that I felt when I came when I was in Egypt and it was like oh my god I'm in my I'm in my body I'm in my spirit in this new way. And, um, and I've been feeling that every day. It's been amazing. I mean, I can't even tell you, I just quit my job because I said, it's time. It's time to, um, it's time to take advantage of this moment to, um, to be a dancer and to make this what I do time so what's your current uh, dreams dance dreams and aspirations and uh, how also in general like this current pandemic situation um influenced your dance uh, let's say thoughts and ideas about uh, your future path so um One thing I started doing that I also feel like has been so inspiring for me is um, I took a class with um, a series of workshops, actually, with Lisa Zahia. Um, her website is lisazahia.com. Um, Lisa spelled L-I-S-Z-A-H-I-Y-A. Maybe with an H. I can't remember right this minute, but lisazahia.com. And she teaches a series of, um, of seminars on 
how to um, really like strategically do online classes. Um, she pivoted at the beginning of the pandemic from owning her own studio that she had had for years to um, only doing online. And I, it was so inspiring. Like I was like so clear, oh my gosh, I could be teaching people anywhere in the world. You know, like I, you know, it's like one thing when I'm only teaching, you know, in the 60 mile radius of Baltimore, but it's another thing if I could teach anybody in the world at any given moment, um, I said, hold up, this is actually, you know, like there's this way in which we often think of COVID and the pandemic as like the worst thing that ever happened. All honor to the deaths, my gosh, the horrible deaths of this time, you know, like that, yes, that is something to mourn. But at the same time, I feel like the opportunities that were right in front of us that we weren't even paying attention to have also been so clear, you know, it's like, oh my God, I could be teaching like any, you know, like five years ago, I could have been teaching anybody in the world, but I didn't notice it. You know what I mean? Five years ago, we could have been talking the way we're sitting here right now, right? But we weren't doing that in the same way. I mean, I'm sure some people were, but in America, I don't think we were, I think we were isolating ourselves in some ways that we didn't even notice we were isolating ourselves. And so, you know, as the pandemic hit, there was also this way where like, you know, initially there was the shock. And then all of a sudden I was like, hold on, I'm talking to my friends in Australia. I'm talking like my birthday party. I did my birthday party online and I had Rada Hankish drum for my birthday party. And I'm dancing with Rada Hankish at my birthday party. And it's like, and I didn't have to put him on a plane and fly him to DC to do that. You know, and like, I could have been doing that anytime. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. It's like, oh my gosh, the opportunities of this moment are so wide. And I realized, hold on, if I can have students anywhere in the world, that's a game changer. You know what I mean? And, um, and so, yeah, I feel like this is, this, that's the biggest thing I'm looking forward to. I'm, I'm also looking forward to when the pandemic is over, like getting, you know, doing some international workshops and um, doing international teaching. Um, but in the meantime, I can do it, you know, and that is been the, that is so exciting. That's like, to me, that's what I'm really excited about right now. Well, in general, can you tell our listeners where they can uh, follow you, where they, where they can find new updates about your current and future then journey? Maybe you have favorite uh, like social media or any other source where you share what's going on. <laughs> I can be found at Myasia Dances or Myasia Rakasat. If you look either of those up, you'll usually find me. That's M-I-A-S-I-A. R-A-Q-A-S-A-T. I used to go by Myasia Dancers, and then I noticed that Facebook was targeting dancers who had that, you know, so it's such and such dances. It was at the point when they were like, you can't have multiple profiles. So I changed it to Rakasad after I went to Egypt. It felt like it fit me. Um, I've always felt like dance is the center of who I am. You know, like that's what I came here to do um, along it is the way I heal 
you know, like it is the way I love to feel. I, I told you this, you know, off camera, but I'll like to tell it again, which is that my favorite thing, um, my favorite compliment always is that I've helped someone. And when I've performed and someone walks up to me afterwards and they say, you know, I came here, I wasn't happy, I was had a bad day, I've had a bad week, I've had a bad life. <laughs> and they say, you know, that in the process of sitting and watching me dance, it took them away and it brought them so much joy. To me, that is the greatest gift, you know? So I feel like healing has always been something that I've loved, but in this work that I've been doing, it's been clear that healing is also a tradition of my ancestors and that the more that I connect with them, the more I connect with that, that work. So it's been a beautiful thing. Um, I also have a website, which is www.miasiamyasia.org. Um, so www.myasia.org. Um, and my email address is myasia at myasia.org. And so you can reach me at all of those places. And I'm also going to, I have an Instagram I haven't done a lot of work on, but I'm learning more through the classes I've been taking with Lisa Zahia. So um, I will be updating on Instagram as well. I realize I'm about to hit 5,000 on Facebook, so I can't really take more friends right now. So I need to really transfer to Instagram so I can, you know, take advantage of new opportunities and new friends. Uh, yeah, so that's what's happening. Well, I'll definitely make sure to add links to your website and social media to the show notes. So all our listeners, you know, you can easily find uh, all the links and information and connect with our beautiful guest. And uh, before I sum up and ask you our final question, I also would like to thank you for taking your time and uh, sharing your journey. And I kind of feel like it's a perfect time and he uh, like uh, that we are chatting right now, like um, because originally uh, I think I was trying to message you two or three years ago, but uh, I guess I guess it wasn't time right right back then and now like it's a fresh start and uh, new uh, new dance adventures which i uh, wish you good luck with all your new project ideas and uh, dreams and all that energy that you have now pouring back in dance and life and yourself so good luck with that and very excited to see your uh, future adventures and achievements <laughs> Thank you. And yes, this is the perfect time. I'm so, I feel like, you know, the, like, I feel like an oyster that just opened up, you know, and everything has just been moving at a new pace <laughs> uh, in my life in the perfect way. And yet two years ago, I was, you know, in a relationship, I was in the midst of trying to figure out <laughs> it was quite a complicated time. So I'm glad we are talking now when I feel fresh and new. I mean, it's it's perfect timing. You know, I just left my job. I am 
starting this new adventure of doing online classes, which means that I can reach people everywhere. And it is, you know, I'm ready. I am ready. <laughs> that is very <laughs> exciting to hear. That makes me giggle because there's, can I, do you have a quick second? I want to tell you one last story. So um, I don't know if you all have watched the clips, but there's one, um, one of the, one of the things about doing a reality television show is that, you know, sometimes they had these little things that they would add in that you'd be like, hold on, we're not performing. Now you want me to walk down a hallway and stroke this curtain, you know? <laughs> other bizarre little things where they're like, okay, now you're going to sit in this chair and we're going to stand behind you and we're going to ask you questions and you're going to answer them. And so there was um, one moment where they had me sitting in this chair and they're asking me the questions and answering the questions. And, um, and then all of a sudden the guy comes up behind me and he's like, okay, so I'll stand behind you and I'll go, are you ready? And then you have to get up and walk into the darkness. And I was like, this, every time I think about like the moments that felt most um, staged, those are the moments that were staged. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I get up and I go, I am ready. And so every time now when I say I am ready, I have a little flashback <laughs> to that <ridiculous laughs> moment of I am ready. <laughs> well, but hopefully from darkness to the stage light, not opposite. <laughs> Well, yes, that, I mean, you know, you go into the darkness and then what happens? The next thing I was on stage doing a performance that actually was one of my favorite, when I think back, like outside of the one I talked about earlier, it is the performance I feel most proud of actually. So I was ready. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then now are you ready? <laughs> our summary question. We have one traditional question that I ask absolutely every single guest, regardless of what we talked uh, during the interview. We kind of briefly, like, not briefly, like, indirectly talked about it, but it still would be a very cool way to summarize our conversation. And the question is, are you ready? <laughs> no, joking. <laughs> the question is, are you ready? <laughs> The question is, what makes you fall in love with ballet dance again and again so you keep doing it for so many years? I have two answers. Um, one is... Um, there's the part that I love and then there's the part that I don't like, but always keeps, that helps me come back, right? Like how I trans, how I work through it. So, um, one of the things that I do not love about, um, something that happens and I don't know if it happens everywhere, but I definitely have seen it, um, as part of the culture of dance in America is that there's a running story. It comes up every few years. Um, and the story is there aren't opportunities for black dancers. There aren't opportunities for fat dancers. Um, and it is often coded in 
white supremacy to me. It is a story that it's like, oh, audiences don't want them. Um, they don't, there aren't any, <laughs> which is always really interesting, kind of funny uh, from my perspective to hear people say like, there aren't any professional black dancers, there aren't any professional fat dancers in the black. Well, I must be invisible then, <laughs> you know? Um, it must not actually live. <laughs> um, but it, but one of the things about that story is that it actually is really inspiring to me. When I was a kid, um, there was a performer, her name was Nell Carter, and she was fat and she was black. And she was an amazing stage performer. She was on television, she was in movies, she was famous, she was sexy. She was fully in control and in power of herself. And, um, and then she was gone. And, you know, like there have been other people, you know, Queen Latifah at times, even though I wouldn't say she's that plus size now, you know, like there have been other people, Monique and others, but there, to me, like there was, for my generation, when I was a kid, she was that light that said, they're not right. You know, like, I can go to school and people can tell me who I'm going to be, but they're not right. You know, like, she was that light for me that said, okay, that's cute that you think that, but I'm clearly looking at evidence to the contrary. And um, when I look at those statements, you know, sometimes they can hurt, but more often than not, it lights a fire in me that's like, I have to keep dancing so that somebody else can look at me and say, they're not right. Um, one of the moments I didn't talk about that was so special to me um, when I was on the show is there was um, most of I would say there's a lot of colorism in, um, in Egypt. A lot of the times um, I would be walking around the set and there were a set of guys who were on the crew who would follow behind me um, drumming on things, singing Africa, Africa, um, in this slightly taunting way. And every time they did it, I was like, hold on, we're in Africa. You African, your grandma's African, your grandma's African. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, but I recognized that my skin tone marked me as African to them in a way that they did not even see themselves as. And, um, and I, and it, one of the things I realized though was like, the dancers, some of them were darker skinned and they'd lighten their skin for stage. Some of them had my hair texture and they would cover it with a straight wig. You know, like there was a real effort to hide their Africanness um, publicly. And I, you will go, if, for those of you who've been to Egypt, you'll see that there are people of various skin tones. But when you go to the movie, the film studio, 
you do not see those people. Um, and so the only person who I saw, um, there were two people who were my skin tone. One was the guy who delivered our water and the other who didn't show up until like toward the end of the show. And I think they partially, I suspect that they brought her in because they knew I was starting to feel some kind of way, you know? Um, but she was one of the seamstresses who was darker skinned. And one day, I think it was the day I got kicked off, she walked up to me and she clasped my hands and she hugged me and she said, I am so happy that you are on this show so that my daughter gets to see you. Sorry, I need a moment. No, that's very beautiful. Um, and so that is one of the biggest motivations for me is to be, to stand in defiance of that, those statements and those, um, to make sure that I'm constantly representing for the fat women, the darker skinned women, and for both. You know, um, and to do so in excellence so that they know that it's there for them. Um, no matter who might try and shut the door, the door is already open. <laughs> the door is already open. Just come on in. And that's it for today, guys. But before you go away, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends. And if you post it on social media, please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place.